and every writer that I meet that I tell this story to absolutely hates my guts because nobody gets an opportunity to go up and, and meet with an editor at their office at Random House and be told, I want a book like this. And then, you know, you send it to her and she says yes. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Timothy Young, an author-illustrator of eight published children's books. He majored in illustration at Pratt University and has since worked in the toy and animation field for over 30 years. Pee-wee's Playhouse, Disney, Henson's Muppets, and Nickelodeon are just a few of the places where Timothy's creativity has earned a spotlight. In fact, he even has a small cameo for his work on the award-winning music video Big Time for Peter Gabriel. So welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here, um, and I have to kind of push pause for a second. I have to fangirl out, especially on behalf of my sister, but... uh, Tim, you were instrumental in one of something that was iconic for my sister and I growing up, which was the Penny cartoon from Pee-wee's Playhouse. I, I'm glad to have been part of your childhood. Uh, <laughs> I, I really kind of lucked out in getting this job with Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, I started off doing a bunch of different kinds of animation models for it. Like when he opens the fridge and the food is moving around, I was doing some of like the popsicles, things like that, and, and a bunch of little props. And then they came to me and said we're doing these really cool clay animated uh, cartoons and we want you to be the head model maker on it. And so I had a team of three or four other people, but I did most of the penny, you know, setups and then they were taken in to be animated. And the coolest thing is I got to work with um, people like Nick Park, who went on to do the Wallace and Gromit films. He was one of the, the main animators on it. So it was an incredible place to start my career. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just sort of, you know, when you're a kid, the imagination that you know when you're a kid seeing that it it's full of imagination but then to think that you know adults we have to have that spark that comes from somewhere so when you were growing up did you were you kind of sculpting as you grew up or was that something that kind of came to you later on no i i i ever since i could pick up play-doh or or crayons or whatnot i was creating art my mom likes to tell people now that i ruined her rug with play-doh um, mm-hmm. You know, which is at the time she wasn't too happy about, but now that I'm like pretty successful artist, she thinks it's cool. But um, yeah, I always, when I was a kid, I looked at the books that I loved and the cartoons that I liked and the toys that I played with, and I and I wondered who got to do all this cool stuff, who got to make all this stuff, and little did I know at the time that I would get to be one of these people when I grew up and work in the toy industry and do animation. And now, you know, write and illustrate my own books. So I'm just thrilled that that I've been able to take all the stuff I loved when I was a child and continue to do it, you know, well into my adult life. I remember um, learning about stop motion animation and like Jason and the Argonauts and things like that. And I always thought that that must be like it appealed to me for someone else to do, but it was just intimidating how much how much attention to detail you have to have because it's not like it's not like other things where you can you can get away with more like there is one picture of every <laughs> of every movement yeah. and it has to be perfect every time yeah and and that's why i was really really happy to be the model maker and not the animator <laughs> most of the animators that i knew were a little bit crazy from being locked in a very dark room 
for eight to 10 to 12 hours at a time, moving my models, you know, one tiny little frame at a time. Uh, it was, it, it was, I did it once or twice and I thought, no, this is not the thing I want to do. I'm fascinated by it and it was really fun to be part of the creative process, but that, that tiny little detail stuff was not what I did. Right. But your, your, your models had to have exquisite detail because they were getting their picture taken a thousand times. Is right. what I was right. getting at. And do you know that, like, did you have to see the first one to say, oh, this is what I need to do for next time? Like, is there, what's, what kind of learning curve is it moving from just sculpting to animated sculpting? Well, I, I did take some animation courses in college. And, and the same way, I watched all the Jason and the Argonauts, all, all the Harryhausen movies. My favorite film of all time is King Kong. Um, so I, I was very fascinated by that as well. And so I, I had a, when I got the job, it's not because I hadn't ever heard of animation before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, um, when I was at Pratt, I started doing some sculptural illustrations, which are, you know, you do a sculpture to be photographed, then printed in a magazine. At, at, in, in high school, I was a big fan of National Lampoon. And they started running these guys' illustrations from London. Uh, they were Peter Fluck and Roger Law. They ended up going on to become the guys who created Spitting Image, which was all these you know, political puppets. Um, but National Lampoon was running their very funny illustrations that were all sculpted pieces. And I was very much influenced by it, so I started doing that myself. And by the time I got out of college, I had you know, boxes and rooms full of sculptures, no money to photograph them properly. And, and no idea how I was going to present this to, to get jobs to do sculptural illustration myself. But somebody told me, oh, this company is hiring all these animators and model makers and whatnot. So I managed to get an interview, and I threw everything into a big box and took it on the New York subway to Broadway and had my interview and, uh, and got the job. So it, it kind of worked out. <laughs> now, how did you sort of make the transition? I don't want to kind of get too ahead of myself, but... So you're doing the sculpting. In fact, you even did some of the sculpting for some of the Simpsons characters when Arby's and, and Burger King were, were kind of including them kind of in the... Yeah, I, I, I went on Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know, I was doing all this different stuff, but mainly the Penny cartoons. And uh, someone had heard about me. She was, her name's Karen Lyons. She was working doing plush toys for... Matchbox toys, which had the license to do the Pee Wee toys. So she did the Cherry doll, and she did the the body for Pee Wee, and she did the Terry the pterodactyl doll. And she she and I went out to lunch and talked for a while because she was kind of thought it was cool that I you know had actually worked on the show. And we were talking about Penny, and she said, "Well, they've been talking about maybe doing a Penny doll." And I said, "Well, I'd love to do it. I think that'd be really really cool." So she made the introduction, and they hired me. And I designed the doll, and I came up with the phrases that it was going to say, because, of course, it had to be a talking doll. Um, and I sculpted the head. And it was, so it was the first pro toy prototype I ever did. And, I, and I, I learned a lot about what I did wrong on it. Um, right. But in, in the end, it worked out fine. And it went to Toy Fair, and it was shown around the industry. But then the marketing people all said, well, you know, she doesn't interact with the other characters, so we're not going to put that toy out which was a huge mistake because, you know, everybody who hears that there could have been a penny doll <laughs> is just very disappointed that they didn't get I'm to have I'm telling you right now, if my sister's hearing this yeah. right now, she is devastated that we didn't have an opportunity to have a penny doll. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> we're, so, we're so sorry, Kristen. But, it's, but you eventually sort of then kind of transitioned 
or maybe were you always writing at the time or no, no, did that I, sort of occur kind of later on in, in things? I, um, I was not a good writer uh, when I was younger. I, I was terrible at writing as a child. Um, and really all through college, I actually, you know, failed a course on Ibsen for not turning into final paper. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I got my first computer that I, I sort of cracked the writing, you know, uh, how, how to do it. Because I could just throw all my ideas on into the computer and then edit them later. Uh, but I didn't really have confidence as a writer either. I had a lot of ideas and, and I didn't, you know, know what, how I was going to get those ideas out there. I kind of hoped someone would come along and say, well, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll write the story and you illustrate it and, you know, we'll put the book out. And that guy never showed up. <laughs> so I had to kind of figure it out. I did. It wasn't until I was, uh, I was design director for a toy company. Um, we were putting out this product called uh, The Meanies. And these were a parody of, of, of Beanie Babies. And they were... Um, so they were kind of like funny, gross characters, and um, they, they all, you know, they, they had to have a poem on their hang tag. Okay. And, and so my bosses all said, you know, like, we need to write poems for these characters you guys are coming up with. And we sat around a big conference room, and, and everybody read their poems, and everybody seemed to like mine a lot. And so I ended up with, you know, my poems on the hang tags, and it started to give me some confidence that you know maybe I could write, and so I started writing down some of my book ideas, and and really it was like another decade before I actually really got serious about it, but but it gave me the confidence to uh, to do it. And what was what was the was was there a catalyst that that got you to start writing? And well, let's start there. Was was there a catalyst that got when when did you just say it's time to do a book? I I always meant to do it, and so I was in my early forties. And I hadn't. Um, I was working for another toy company uh, that is now out of business, um, Shellcore Toys, and I really hated my job. And I had to get out of it. And and I wanted to get some of my ideas on the market, um, some of some of my book ideas, some of my you know uh, toy ideas. I even had ideas for animated shows, which I still may get to someday. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't getting any younger, and um, I had moved down here to the Eastern Shore. And I had set up a local business doing graphic design, and I got a lot of work, and that was really, really great. And I appreciate all the clients that, I, that I've had and have. Um, but I, my goal was not to move to the Eastern Shore and become a famous local graphic designer. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I kind of took a step back from some of the work, um, and, I, uh, and I started getting serious about getting my ideas together. And, um, and I got kind of lucky because uh, after my... After I started putting some of the ideas together, I met this guy who had a couple of books published from Random House, and he wanted me to work on one of his projects, so I was going to do some illustration work for him, and in return, he said, and I can get you a meeting with my editor at Random House, and I was like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> so I, I, we both went up to New York and went up to uh, her office, and I presented a whole bunch of ideas to her. Um, she, she thought my illustrations were, were okay, but, you know, kind of commercial because I was a commercial artist. I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> Surprise. Um, yeah. Um, but what she loved was my logo. My company logo for my company, Creatures and Characters, was a bunch of silhouetted characters. as a robot and a monster and a rabbit and all kinds of things. 
and they're, they were on every page that I showed her, and she kept commenting, I think your logo is really great. I really love your logo. And finally, at the end of the meeting, she said, I want to do a book that looks like your logo. So I drove home from New York thinking, well, you know, nothing I showed her looked like that, and what can I do? And I don't know, maybe I could draw, I don't know, a bunch of silhouetted monsters because they were all silhouetted characters. All right, so I'm looking for an idea about monsters. I'm looking for, I'm looking for a monster. And I had a title. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so it could be about this boy who's looking for his, his favorite monster. And I got home, and I, and I, I had written it in the four-hour drive from New York to Maryland. And I, and I drew a bunch of the sample pages for it, and I sent it back up to her. And she said, that's the book I'm looking for. And she sent it to her acquisitions board, and they said yes, and I had a contract. And every writer that I meet that I tell this story to absolutely hates my guts because <laughs> yeah. nobody gets an opportunity to go up and, and meet with an editor at their office at Random House and be told, I want a book like this. And then, you know, you send it to her and she says yes. Yeah, um, I mean, that's really, just, that's really fallen into the roses. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, I, that's um, incredible. Yeah, I, I got, you know, lightning definitely struck a few times on that, that, uh, that deal. Well, the, the, but they always say, you know, you also have to be prepared for it. You didn't say, well, if you don't like my ideas, then you're just stupid and I will take my genius elsewhere. There you go. I could have <laughs> taken that attitude and I wouldn't be on your podcast today. <laughs> um, and so not knowing, I guess at the time you didn't, you didn't realize that it was a, that it, that it was, that it was a lightning strike. Um, what kind of pressure did you feel to get the book done quickly um, was there what was what was your deadline like and how did you and how did you deal with that well it was funny because so it was presented as a picture book and they said yes to it and they, and they said two things they said firstly we need it done actually rather quickly we have this hole in our next year's catalog and we'd like to plug it in so do you think you could do it in a couple of months i was like couple of months that's that's a lot of time for me you know I'm used to working on pretty tight deadlines in the toy industry and whatnot so I thought that's fine then she said we do a lot of pop-up books in this division and we were thinking it would be a neat pop-up book and I said "Ooh, can I do it and she said yeah can you still do it in the time we need it done and I said I think so mm. and I did so the book not only you know was it a quick turnaround in terms of getting the deal done so the book, I was in her offices in 2007, and the book came out in the summer of 2008. Wow. Uh, which is almost 10 years ago now. Um, but, yeah, I got, again, you know, because, you're right, because I had the ability to follow up on mm -hmm. what she wanted, I made it happen and made it work. But it was still kind of, you know, just... I don't know, kismet. <laughs> and how do you design a pop-up book? Like, what are your responsibilities as as the creator? Like, did you did you have to build the tabs, or did you just have to suggest how it was going to no, look? No, I had to actually mock up every aspect of the book. Um, I went and got a whole bunch of pop-up books out of the library. Um, I There's a great book by a guy named David Carter called The Elements of Pop-Up, which is still in print, I believe. It shows you how to make them, basically. It shows really cool pop-ups. And then you can kind of fold it open and look at the back of it and see how it's attached. So I kind of took each each page, like it's a very simple book. It's like I'm looking for a monster. I want a big monster, but not that big. I want a scary monster, but not that scary. So instead of having it go 
like the buildup is on one page and the, the, the joke, the, the punchline is on the next. Mm-hmm. I, I made the pop-up the, the punchline. So um, the scary monster, you know, it, when you open the page, it's a, this big set of jaws with pointy teeth that right. like open and close. Um, and so it, it, it's a really cute book. Sadly, it's my, my only book that's out of print. Uh-huh. Um, it's still out, out there like on eBay or, or, you know, you can find one on Amazon occasionally. But uh, you know, it was just so much fun, you know, working on it. And then when it finally came out, it's like, oh, my God, I've, I've got a book out. I'm a published. At the time, I didn't even want to call myself an author, you know, because to me, an author is like, you know, way up there on the mountaintop. Right. And I was just an illustrator who figured out to put some words together. So I was still like really uncomfortable saying I was an author. It wasn't until my fourth book that I started. Yeah, and I was just about to say, so you didn't sort of stop at I'm looking for a monster. You end up, I mean, you kept going because you've got, what, seven more in addition well, to that. Well, more than that now. Yeah. Um, actually, I think you saw an old bio. As of this fall, I'll have 12 published books. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, I have, because I have two others that I illustrated with other authors now. Okay. Um, and uh, I've got a really nice publisher, Schiffer Publishing. Okay. who, you know, are really great to work with, and they they love what I'm sending them. You know, they, we work together to, to put out a great final product. Um, but they're also, they have a quick turnaround time because they're a small family-run business uh, up in Pennsylvania, and they, they do a fantastic job putting the books together. But unlike some of the bigger publishers, which, you know, a, a book may take three years to get out, you know, I can finish something this year and have it out next year. And it's uh, it's it's really nice, but yeah, I um I continued to work with um, Random House for a while, with that my editor there. I pitched her a bunch of different ideas. Right after I'm looking for a monster, I showed her this book called They're Coming, and she loved it, and she sent it to acquisitions also. And they said, well, we don't want to follow one monster book with another. Can he do something with dinosaurs or dragons? So about a week later, I sent her three ideas for books. Uh, one that was about dragons, one called Shadows on My Wall that had monsters, dragons, and dinosaurs and all kinds of stuff in it, and then a third one called I'm Looking for a a Dinosaur, which was kind of a direct follow-up to I'm Looking for a Monster, and Acquisition said yes to that, so I had my second contract um, for a book, and I put that together, and that was finished, and it was on press in China, ready to to be printed in 2009, when the economy tanked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was cut along with half of the you know catalog that they were going to do that year. Right. And they, you know, if it had been a week later, you know, and it had been printed, it probably would have been, you know, finished off and put together and put out. But um, sadly, at that point, when they turned that book back to me, when they canceled that book, all of the books that were on my editor's desk there also came back to me. And so I spent a couple of years kind of trying to figure out what to do. I, I had just gotten an agent, and I, and I don't blame her at all for never placing my books anywhere because everyone was closed up. All mm. the big houses were basically, unless you're a celebrity or you've got a, a you know 20-book track record, we're not going to take the risk to publish you in, in this climate. Um, but I came across this small publisher, Schiffer, a few years later, and through, a, through an author who had some books published with them, she made the introduction... And I sent them up four books, uh, The Shadows on My Wall, They're Coming, I Hate Picture Books, and um, <laughs> Do Not Open the Box. And, uh, and they said yes to all four of them. And because They're Coming and Shadows on My Wall had been prepared 
for Random House, and actually I had done some more work on them thinking I might have, I might just publish them on the iPad myself because that was kind of new at the time. Mm. Um, but it was nice for me to, to actually have a real publisher who do really quality books to have them come out. So they put out Shadows on My Wall, and they're coming at the same time. Um, and six months later, uh, I Hate Picture Books came out, which kind of put me on the map. There's an interesting back and forth that happens pretty much only after you're published, and you were talking about it a little bit, which is you can kind of pitch directly, and that's that's where, that's where the, the lightning strike really happens, where you can say, okay, these are my ideas, and they've already worked with you, so they can say yes or no, and you don't have to go through the, the long and sometimes difficult querying process. When you went to Schiffer, was that what it was like? Was it like, okay, this is what I've already done. Here are my pitches, or was it a longer process? It was, it was actually a very short initial process because, as I say, I met this author. She, Schiffer works a little bit differently than some of the bigger publishers in that they're happy if an author brings an illustrator in with them. Hmm. A lot of the bigger publishers, they want to choose the illustrator, and they have the, the ability to do that. They have a huge you know, group of illustrators they work with. So she wanted to work with me. And I told her, like, well, you know, it's what I do for a living. I kind of need to get, you know, paid mm. uh, for it. Um, a lot of times, Schiffer will make a deal with an author and illustrator team just for royalties. And they, they can't really afford to pay a big advance. They do some now, but at the time, they weren't doing any advances. And I said, well, I'd have to talk to them about that, you know. And I said, maybe if they'd be interested in one of my books, then maybe we can work out a deal. And when they came back and said, yes, they want all four of them, I had to tell the other author, I'm going to be spending a lot of time finishing these. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm afraid I can't you know, work on your book now. She understood, and, sh and they found an illustrator for her for that book as well. Um, but yeah, and now that I've gotten to know them and they know me, um, we pitch ideas very casually back and forth. Um, I was working on one of my latest books is called I'm Going to Outer Space. And I had just started it, and and they, you know, they had seen some roughs for it, and they knew that um, it was coming to them. And I was in a school doing a, a presentation, and I was standing in a library in a school, and I, I was happened to be standing in front of the How to Draw books, and I thought, ooh, that'd be kind of neat. And so I I knew I was going to be designing a whole bunch of aliens for I'm going to outer space. So I thought, oh, I could do a, a How to Draw a Monsters and Aliens book because a lot of my other books have monsters in it. So maybe Schiffer would like to do that. And I gave them the, the idea, and they said yes. Hmm. And, and when that was finished last year um, and getting ready to be published, it came out in, um, in October of last year, they said, you want to do more of these? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sure. <laughs> so now I have a second uh, How to Draw book called More Creatures and Characters that comes out uh, this fall. And now, um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about going back to the pop-up book was um, directly to 3D. So you, you, were, you were working in three dimensions, and then you moved to two dimensions, but then the first time you get published, you're in 3D again. So um, was, was that, because, I mean, pop-ups are 2D that become 3D. Right. And so can you talk about the difference between 2D, 3D, and pop-ups that become 3D? Yeah, I, I suppose I should... I could say that, you know, dimensions don't scare me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, like when I, you know, not only have I sculpted, but I've designed things for packaging. I've, I've 
done stuff that required paper to be folded before. <laughs> so it was a it was a fun challenge. Um, I I would go I would do 3D illustration again um, if I you know had the opportunity to do so. Uh, the only trouble with like sculpting a lot of characters because I still do some sculpting for toy um, companies um, is is you need more room to work on stuff. It's very easy to do my illustrations for my books in 2D because I do most of them on the computer. Mm. I draw all of my line work um, on paper. And because of my animation background, I actually draw a lot in layers. I draw a lot of separate elements and then bring them, scan them into my computer and bring them into, into Photoshop. And then I do all my painting and rendering and coloring in the computer. And so I can work in a very small, confined space. Mm. Um, I, I have a nice size, you know, a, a bedroom size studio in my home that I work in. Um, to go back to having a sculpture studio, which I've had before, usually in a basement or a garage, right. um, you, you, you spread out. It's a lot messier. Mm. You know, you're, you're making things out of wax or clay, and then you're making silicon molds, and then you're casting them in resin, and it's a big mess. And, and it's fun. You know, but it's it's a lot of work and and requires a lot more you know stuff than than you know my day to day working now has. So, well, I was listening to something you were saying earlier, and I kind of had this thought in my head um, about you know listen like when you're playing with you know the clay and creating a character like Penny, or when you're sculpting, when you're doing animation and doing the layers, as you say, how you're you draw in the layers and then come to play with them. That kind of reminds me of how sometimes we've heard authors and writers talk about playing with words. And it's almost like you're kind of moving between the two, like playing with words and seeing how things kind of develop and then turning around and also like physically playing with the characters and things like that. And it just, it was kind of interesting to me to see how I'd, I'd never, I'd never thought about playing with words and playing with the character in, in a very literal sense as, as you've been doing. And often while I'm writing a book, I'm already working on the drawings for it, and I will not be finished with the, the words for the book until all the illustrations are done because I find that if I'm thinking visually and come up with a funny thing and it doesn't really quite work with the words I've had already, I feel completely free to just change things around. So I'm constantly revising and, and re rewriting and changing the direction of things while I'm writing a book. Um, and it's, you know, it, it keeps things fresh and fun and interesting. Um, I, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I have to say that, you know, there are books. Now that I, I, I go out to these schools and I read my books, I'm constantly thinking, I should have changed that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, should, I could make this different now. Um, but it's already published and, you know, I'm not going to go out and do a revised edition. And so I've noticed kind of a little bit of a motif with monsters and dinosaurs and aliens and all that. Does that kind of spring from the uh, the King Kong sort of inspiration Absolutely. of your childhood? I, when I when I introduce my book, they're coming. They're coming has a whole bunch of silhouetted characters in it who are reminiscent of the old Universal monsters, uh, Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and and I introduce it by saying uh, this book has all the monsters in it from the monster movies that I watched when I was too young to be watching monster movies. <laughs> what I do now is, is, is kind of similar to what you're doing, and it rang my bell, and I wanted to talk about it a little bit more. Like, um, so I, will, I, I, I have audio that I have to mix with 
with, so I write a script that goes with audio. And I, as, and as you're putting it together, you're like, okay, this and this and this. And then when you're reading it, you're like, no. And then you have to go backwards because you think you have everything picked out. But then when it's, when it's together, you're like, oh no, I have to change it. But it's nice to have that ability to say, no, I, I, now I have a better audio thing. So I have to change what I was going to say because the story is better with this, with this other piece that I didn't know how it was going to look until I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I find when I'm reading my books to big groups of kids, um, I don't, you know, I don't look at it and read it. It's all in my head <laughs> you now. Remember it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, a lot of kids say like, how do you do that? It's like, well, I've been reading it often. And first off, I wrote it. So, mm. you know, I knew it originally, but, but I don't always read it verbatim. You know, if I change a word around occasionally, just because, you know, I'm, I'm, because I'm performing it as mm. much as I'm just reading it. And, and a lot of people really like the way that I, I read my books, but I don't feel like, oh, I got to stick exactly to the script. Right. And do you feel like when you, when you were talking earlier about the pop-up books and all that, it kind of seems to me like a starting out in toys and starting out in sort of that claymation kind of really set an interesting sort of foundation for you to move into children's books. It's almost like you had all the mechanics already and all you just needed to kind of figure out this other layer of the writing to go on top of it. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, as I said, I mean, it, it, it took working on a toy that I had to write for to gain the confidence to, to think that I actually could do it. And it was funny because because of the way I got into publishing, it worked out very well because I stepped into it blind I'd worked in TV and I'd worked in toys and I'd worked in these other industries, but the publishing industry is very different from, from those. It's really one of the few industries where the general public often tries to get into it. Like you don't really find that many people just on their own trying to like, freelance claymation. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> or, um, or freelance host a television show. <laughs> yeah. Although things are changing now, you know, I mean, YouTube with podcasts and, and YouTube and everything like that. And there's like a lot of new outlets for media. But at the time, getting into the publishing industry is a daunting task. And it kind of helped that I didn't know that because I, I might not have tried had I realized what the regular process is to get published, of sending your manuscript off and get, getting it into the slush pile and hoping some intern is having a good day right. when they read your manuscript and they pass it on up the food chain. I've, I've met people who've been doing that and have done that, and some of them successfully and some not. And, and I just think it's, it's, it's a, it is a very scary system to, to get into. Um, and, and again, when I, when I got my agent, I went to a meeting with her thinking that she's going to like my art and hate my writing because, because of the lack of confidence on my writing. And the exact opposite happened. When she, when she looked at all my stuff, she said, no, no, your stories are great. They're very funny. They're, they're really good. Your artwork is too commercial. Um, you need to step it back a bit. Y your stuff looks like it was like, you know, from a cartoon series that they made into a book. Right. Whereas when people want to buy a book, they want a piece of art. They want to consider that they're holding like a, a fine art painting in their hand. And so you should loosen up. And, and, and we actually walked over to a Barnes & Noble and she showed me a number of examples. And so the way I work now, actually, I used to ink everything, and now, and now I use my really rough pencils and scan the pencils into the computer to start off, and I keep 
my colors and, and my backgrounds and, you know, very textural. And, and I kind of feel like I'm cheating. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like, oh, I could do further. I could do more on this. But I have to hold myself back and say, no, it's, it's, you know. You can see that. You can see that you don't want to make it too slick because people don't want to feel like, like they've got a McDonald's book. Right, right. Yeah. And when I did my book, I'm, I hate picture books. It, it pokes fun at a lot of the books that everybody's read throughout their whole lives. And I worked in the style of all of my favorite illustrators and, and author illustrators like Dr. Seuss and Maury Sendak. Um, and because I had had this long career in the toy industry, working on so many other characters, you know, from Bugs Bunny to Mickey Mouse to Woody Woodpecker, all these, you know, I had I, worked with style guides. I knew I had to work in the, you know, learn the techniques of looking like other people's stuff. And so when it came time to work in the style of Maury Sendak, you know, doing all the, the cross-hatching and things. It was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is so cool to be mimicking this. And I, and I seem to have a talent for it. People really like the illustrations in that book a lot. So. All right, Stephanie. Well, now is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming down and, and being on our podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I, I really had a lot of fun. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.